why I decided to leave at 19 years old. It wasn't because uh, of the home that I grew up in and, and I was abused or kicked out, but I saw how much fun and excitement Dad got from preaching, and I always have wanted to do that. As a teen boy with an undeveloped brain, my friends and I used to play a game, and it was called Two for Flinching. I don't know if you've heard of it before, but I wouldn't really call it a game. But what you would do is you would go up to your buddy, and you would act like you were about to punch them. And if they flinched, you got to say, two for flinching, and you got to punch them twice on the arm. I don't really know what the objective of this game was, but I think looking back that we were trying to prove that we were manly that we had strength, we weren't afraid of getting hurt, and so if someone tried to punch you, you wouldn't budge. You were a man if you didn't flinch. The problem is, no one in their right mind likes to get punched. No one likes to feel pain. If you're scared of hornets and you're scared of yellow jackets, you're not going to go around wanting to get stung by them. You want to avoid pain. We naturally avoid painful situations. Whether physical or mental... Pain is something that we don't enjoy and we try to avoid. That's why you have wet floor signs. That's why there are construction warnings on the road because they're trying to keep us from getting hurt. We may try to come up with clever phrases like, pain is weakness leaving the body. But at the end of the day, pain is pain and no one enjoys feeling pain. We try to avoid it as humans. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of James. James chapter 5. In his letter, James has called for us to change our view of suffering, to change our view on pain. No matter how unnatural it may feel, physical trials can result in blessings. The issues that we face in this life, the suffering, the trials, the pain, give us the opportunity to grow spiritually. They give us the opportunity to strengthen our faith, to grow our trust in God. So no matter how unnatural it may feel, going through a trial can be a blessing. And so James wants us to change our view of suffering. He wants us to change the way we see pain in this life. However, we still don't enjoy suffering. And we try, naturally, to avoid it at all costs. In fact, there are some times when suffering is completely unavoidable. There are even people who choose to suffer. You ever suffered through a diet? We choose to go on a diet, and that is the definition of suffering. People choose to punish their bodies by running miles on end. We don't get it, but guess what? At the end of a diet, you see some results. You should see some results. If you're running, if you're strength training, you will see results from that suffering. And so we do choose to suffer sometimes. Suffering and pain can lead to a desirable outcome. James tells us in the beginning of his letter that suffering produces endurance, which ultimately benefits us spiritually. Suffering is inevitable, and as humans, it helps to have some encouragement to figure out why it is that we're going through the suffering in our lives. This afternoon, we are looking at the topic of a word of fortitude for the faithful. What exactly should we remember in suffering? What should come to mind when we face pain in this life? What is it that should motivate us to continue serving our Father? 
In these final verses, James, as he has been walking through the book, he gives us all these different uh, principles that we should put in place in our lives. And he gives some final statements in chapter 5. And he's really summarizing all of the principles that he has mentioned up to this point. And he draws the attention, our attention, to one of the most important aspects of our faith. As we look at who we are as God's people, one thing that should never escape our mind is the fact that the coming of the Lord is near. Living with that aspect in mind should change the way we view suffering. Living with that fact in mind should change our attitude towards this life. So James, he draws our attention to this aspect of our faith, the coming of the Lord. And as we're looking at this section, he's trying to give us these tips on what we should dwell on in the midst of suffering. James talks about the coming of the Lord, the thought of standing before God on that day should motivate us to live righteously in this life. James chapter 5 and verse 1 is the start of our context for our lesson this morning. As we begin James chapter 5, he tells the rich in verse 1, to weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Now the rich he's referring to became wealthy by withholding pay to their laborers. We see this in verse 4. They took advantage of the poor by hiring them for a job, but then refusing to pay what they promised. And so he talks to these wealthy and he says, what you have gained in this life is at the expense of those who are working for you. You have taken advantage of the poor. You have broken your promises. You have not been honest. And so he tells them, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. You're rich in this life, but God will not reward you in the next. Their wealth was gained at the expense of others. James tells them to weep and to howl because they have fattened their hearts for the day of slaughter. Verse 4 again. They have put to death the righteous. Their cries have reached the ears of the Lord of armies of Sabaoth. And the rich have made God their enemy. We see in James chapter 4 and verse 4 that God opposes the proud. These rich and wealthy. They were arrogant. They were greedy. And they only were concerned for themselves. And they will not be rewarded on the last day. The trials and suffering we read of in James chapter 7, or chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, you're just thinking, wow, he's got a long book of James. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, what we read of here, the trials and the suffering that takes place are as a direct result of the wealthy who are taking advantage of these poor Christians. So James gives us a word of fortitude to the faithful here in this context who are suffering at the hands of evil men. Anyone here as a Christian ever suffered? At the hands of the world, at the hands of evil men, people who don't believe in the God that we serve. When trials come, what keeps us strong? James will give us four reasons that I have found this morning in this text and this afternoon. James 5, verses 7 through 12. Remember in suffering and trials, number one, to be patient. Beginning in verse 7, he says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. Verse 7 begins with the word, therefore. So James is continuing a context, the thought of what he had brought up previous uh, with these rich people. And now he shifts his focus. At first he tells the rich who are taking advantage of the poor to weep and mourn. And then he says, what you're doing is not acceptable to God. And then he shifts his focus and he says, therefore. Now he's talking to the laborers. 
the ones who are being abused by their employers. What does he tell them to do? He says, be patient. This word is defined as long-suffering or to remain tranquil while bearing up under provocation without complaint. The poor were suffering at the hands of the wealthy. But James says, be patient. These laborers who are working for their employers, as was mentioned in a previous lesson in the past hour, uh, these workers were so poor that they relied on the pay that they got that day to take care of their families. And so put yourself in the shoes of these poor laborers who are there working for these rich men. And as they are trying to labor and get money for their family, at the end of the day, they come home empty-handed. And so James doesn't say, take it into your own hands, find a way to get some money. What does he say? Be patient. And of course, if we're in that situation, I would be asking the question, how long? How long are we supposed to put up with this abuse? How long should we suffer? How long should they get away with this sin? What does James say? You know, how long is a question that we really like knowing the answer to. If you're starving and the supper's getting cooked, what do you ask? How long till it's ready? If you're in the store and your wife's shopping and you're ready to leave, what's a question, husbands, we like to ask? How long till you're done shopping? How long? You may be asking how long is left to this lesson. 30 minutes, 28 seconds. How long? That's a question we like to know the answer to. Knowing the end point of something makes bearing with it a little easier. These Christians were suffering. They had no clue how long they would have to stay in this situation. James says, be patient. And they say, how long? You know what James says? Until the coming of the Lord. When we suffer or face trials, how long? Should we remain faithful and patient? As long as it takes to see God. We're called to keep ourselves unstained from the world until we die, which could be tomorrow. For these poor Christians, death could have been at any moment. James reminds them, God's going to take care of everything in the end. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. And so in suffering and trials, be patient, knowing that God will take care of you. Second, James tells us, verse 8, to strengthen our hearts. He says in verse 8, you too be patient, again repeats that. And then he says, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. The heart has been a topic that James has mentioned several times in his letter. Beginning chapter 1 and verse 26, he says, you can deceive your hearts. Chapter 3, verse 14, he says, we can fill our hearts with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Chapter 4 and verse 8, he calls us to purify our hearts. Chapter 5 and verse 5, self-indulgence can fatten our hearts for the day of slaughter. And now, in contrast, what does he say? Strengthen your hearts. Now, he's not telling these people here to start a cardio regimen or eat Cheerios and take CoQ10. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about their center of thinking. Eric Owens explained it far better than I could last night when he talked about the four different aspects of the heart. And that is that the heart influences our actions. What we believe in here will eventually come out, as Dale mentioned earlier in his lesson as well. He's not telling them to focus on the physical problems that they have in their life. He tells them, look inside. Focus on your center of thinking because it's what influences our actions. When we strengthen our center of thinking, there is a direct correlation 
with what we will focus on in this life. So what should be our focus? James tells us again, the coming of the Lord. He says here that this day was near. Not that the end of the world was at hand, but that through death, these poor laborers would be standing before the throne of God very soon. This kind of gives us a glimpse into the extent of the suffering that they were going through. When James says, you're going to be standing before God very soon, not that the end of the world was coming, but that through death, you will be standing before the throne of God. They were so mistreated, they were at the point of death. But rather than worry about self-preservation, think about where you'll be the moment you pass from this life. We're told in James chapter 4 and verse 14 that our life is a vapor here one minute and then gone the next. So don't get so focused on the suffering you face to the detriment of your own soul. If we lose focus on the eternal, what's the point of prolonging the temporal? For these poor Christians, they would have been tempted to do anything they could to take care of their families. If these employers are being dishonest and withholding pay, why should they keep their morality in suffering? We should never lose our righteousness. James says in verse 9, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Notice that phrase. The judge is standing right at the door. I want you to picture in your mind that you have made plans to go have dinner with a friend. And so your journey begins at your home. You get dressed, you get in your car. You drive the route to your friend's house, you get there, you unbuckle, you open your door, you get out of your car, you walk up to the door, and there's only one more step before you're inside your friend's home. And that is, the door needs to be opened, and you need to enter. James here says that the judge is standing right at the door. This paints the picture that our judgment is right in front of us, ready to take place. Judgment is near. Our life is a vapor. So don't do something in this life that will take away what is coming in the next. James began his letter with a statement on suffering, and he ends with suffering. Chapter 1 and verse 2, he says suffering can produce endurance. And then in chapter 5, as we just read, he talks about how suffering can give you the opportunity to strengthen your center of thinking, your hearts. As Christians in the 21st century... We might be tempted to act as though judgment is far off in the future. And that's a serious problem. If Christ was going to come back in 30 seconds, would that scare you? You know, I have a timer set on my phone for 30 seconds. And so if we knew for a fact that the moment this hit, that says 29 seconds, close enough. If you knew for a fact that the moment this hit zero, Christ was going to come back, would that worry you? 28 seconds. Christ is coming back. What's on your mind? Are you worried? 20 seconds. Is there something in your life that needs to change? 10 seconds. Christ is coming back. Got to turn off the alarm. It's been 30 seconds. Christ didn't come back. So now that that has taken place, I want to evaluate our response. 
when you found out that Christ didn't come back, how did you feel? Do you feel relieved that it didn't happen? If so, why are you relieved? Maybe you're disappointed that it didn't take place. The coming of the Lord is near for each one of us. At any moment, we could be standing before our God. And so, we should live with this day in mind. For those who have strengthened their hearts, there's going to be a reward beyond comprehension. But when suffering comes, we must strengthen our center of thinking. Dwell on God. Notice what James also tells us to do. Verses 10 and 11. He says, beginning in verses 10 and 11, that we are to endure. He says, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. When suffering comes in this life, Look at the giants of faith who endured. The pillars of faith that these Christians look up to all suffered. In fact, we go over to Acts chapter 7 and verse 52. Acts chapter 7 and verse 52, Stephen is speaking here, and he says this. Verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Ironically, after Stephen spoke these words, you know what happened? He was killed. Look to the pillars of faith. See what happened in their lives. Just read through the Old Testament of all the prophets who were sent on God's behalf. The struggles and the suffering that they went through. James brings them up and says they suffered. Why should we expect anything different? He mentions also the suffering of Job. Someone that we're very familiar with, we just did a class on it at Scottsville. We went through all of what happened to Job in the beginning when, when Satan takes away all of his belongings and his family, his cattle, everyone in his life except for his wife. We see what happens to Job. We are familiar with the suffering that he went through. How many of us would want to trade with Job? Anyone want to lose their family, their home, their job, their health? Who wants to trade with Job? However, how many of us want what Job received at the end of his suffering? I want it. James says we're familiar with Job, but you know how he received what he got at the end? He endured. He remained faithful through the trials. We count those blessed who endured. Job was rewarded by God because God is compassionate and he saw the faith of Job. Do you think he would have been rewarded if Job lost his faith? We want the reward from God, but we don't want to remain faithful in trials. James says, blessed are those who endure. You have to stay faithful in order to receive the reward. The only reason... We receive anything from God is because we make it through a trial with our faith intact. And if we want that blessing, we must remain faithful. You know, it's only through enduring this world that we'll find a reward from God. And we understand trials produce endurance. We see that in the first book of part of James. But he also mentions it again with Job. He endured, therefore he was blessed. If we want God's blessings... We must remain faithful. It's time that we look at our lives in a fundamentally different way. Because sadly, many people are willing to give up their second life in order to prolong their first. Blessed are those who wait 
on God. Rewarded are those who endure until the end. We must be long-suffering. When we face that suffering, endure so that God will have a reason to reward you in the end. James tells us to endure. Look at the examples that have been given. Notice the people who have given their lives to God and what happened to them. God promises a reward in heaven. God promises a reward in the life to come, not in this one that we are living in the moment. When we face suffering, endure so that God will reward you with the joy of eternal life. James tells us that in suffering you must also, verse 12, keep your integrity. He says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Keeping this verse in the context of what James has been talking about, He's talking to those poor workers that are employed by the rich. And he says, basically, if you agree to work for the rich and then you don't, you have stopped being righteous. Remember, the rich have been dishonest. They're not letting their yes be yes. And so it would be tempting as a poor worker who's being taken advantage of by these rich people. It would be tempting to just say, well, if they're not going to be moral, neither am I. If they're going to take advantage of me, why would I give them my hard work? James says, if you're going to say yes, make sure that you keep it a yes. The rich have been dishonest. And so these poor people, these poor Christians who are being taken advantage of had to make a tough decision. Often when we're tempted to compromise our character, we do it for someone else. These Christians who are being mistreated most likely had families, a spouse, children who needed to eat. Can't we compromise for the sake of our own families? Sometimes we tell lies in order to save the feelings of those that we love. Oftentimes we compromise for the sake of others. Is it wrong to compromise for our own families? If our integrity goes out the window in suffering, what does that say about our faith in God? Do we truly believe that we will be rewarded in the end if we try and save ourselves. It's easy to see how tempting it would be to stoop to their employer's level here in this context. If they're being dishonest, why should I be any different? But this is how the world thinks. Someone cuts you off in traffic. We're in Bowling Green. That's where it happens all the time. Someone pulls out in front of you, goes five miles an hour, and you're going 50. We want to get even. Play on the horn for half an hour to make ourselves feel better. And so we try and get even. If a spouse insults their spouse in the world, what happens? They'll turn around and it'll be back and forth and back and forth. We repay evil with evil. That's human nature. That's what we try and do to make ourselves feel better. Verse 12 says, Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. I want to flip over to Matthew chapter 5 very quickly. Matthew chapter 5 verses 34 through 36. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, says this, beginning in verse 34, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. To understand what James is saying and what Jesus is saying here as well, we need to recognize the Jews had lesser and greater oaths. It was... uh, 
the first century way of crossing their fingers behind their back. If they didn't want to make a commitment to someone and they didn't want to uphold what they were going to promise to them, they would swear and have different oaths, different levels of oaths. So if you swore by Jerusalem or you made an oath by Jerusalem, you're basically saying, yeah, there's a 60% chance that I'll do it, but there's also a 40% chance that it's a no. And so there was this compromise where you could say an oath and not feel too guilty about breaking it. Lesser and greater oaths. Jesus tells the Jews, no matter what kind of oath that you make, God will hold you accountable to your word. There's no greater or lesser oath. There is only yes or no. Applying this to James chapter 5, these Christians are being told to just wait on God. He'll make it right in the end. The dishonest employers will be dealt with. Hold on and stay faithful. Let God take care of it because this life is a vapor, but the one that is to come will never end. Hold on to God. It's not going to end well for these rich men. We don't want to be in the same boat. Don't do something that you're going to regret later. As James mentions, the judge is near. We read about Lazarus in Luke 16. God didn't save Lazarus from his poverty on earth. In fact, every day Lazarus woke up to beg from the rich man and he never got a crumb from him. He was never saved in this life, but you know what happened in the next? He was rewarded. Whenever we think about this life, the reward comes after our physical life here is over. God is not going to save us in this life, but in the one to come. We need to realize very quickly, James is not saying to, make, uh, to not make oaths in general. In fact, Jesus and Paul both made oaths. You can see that in Matthew 26, 63. 1 Thessalonians 5, 27, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 23. He's not saying not to make oaths. The point is not to make an oath that you are knowingly going to break. It's like making plans to go out to eat with your spouse and in the back of mind you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to cancel that later. It doesn't work. It's not heartfelt. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. In suffering, we can be tempted to lose our integrity in order to try and save ourselves. When we face trials, we must keep our integrity. That's when it's needed most. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you will not fall under judgment. Remain righteous. Have wisdom enough to stay the course until the very end. Our parents have a set of wind chimes at their house. And uh, if you're ever there on a windy day, they make a whole lot of noise. Believe it or not, there are occasions in Kentucky where there is no wind and you don't hear those wind chimes at all. In fact, without wind, there is no chime. Crazy, huh? Wind chimes, you need wind, you need a storm, you need something to blow in order to make sound. Without wind, there is no music. In life, we have the opportunity to let the storms and wind bring out what's within us. Trials are going to bring out what is truly in you as a person. And so when the wind blows, what sound do you hear? Is yours a song of patience, strength, endurance, and integrity? In suffering, are we patient knowing that God is still king and he will take care of us in the end? Do we strengthen our hearts, our center of thinking, understanding that God's word is what guides us in this life, not other humans' wisdom? Do we endure and do we keep our integrity? It's true. 
as humans, we don't enjoy pain. But what if temporary pain is just what we need to have eternal bliss with God? Seems like a good trade to me. James would tell us, be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Endure. And keep your integrity in this life. Thank you.